again it is time to get situated get ready Bibles open and our hearts prepared as we settle down oh happy church and nothing helps that to happen like a word of prayer so let's do that now Heavenly Father before us uh, a new book of the Bible for us to study verse by verse chapter by chapter Line upon line, precept upon precept, we're looking to you, the author of these scriptures, the God-breathed word, to do your work down deep in our hearts. Cut away, Lord, into down deep where our lives happen, Lord, where we need that wisdom and instruction and correction and comfort. We look to you for all these good things. In Christ's name, amen. That new book that we are going to study happens to be Romans chapter one. (laughs) All right. Well, one person is very happy and some some are very vocal. That's good. And so I guess we kept it pretty much a secret then. That's really nice. How many of you enjoy the book of Romans? Raise your hand. Let the record show that everybody in the congregation has lifted their hand just about. Now let's talk about this because I was talking in staff meeting about where we were headed and we, uh, I mentioned that it's going to be the book of Romans and they asked me, well, that seems like a daunting task. What's it feel like? I mean, the book of Romans has been called really the king of the New Testament epistles and famous for how profound the theological ideas uh, represented there are. And even Peter says about uh, Paul, Peter says that our brother Paul writes with godly wisdom, wisdom that God gave him. And some of the things he writes about are difficult to understand. And surely... He was referring to some of the passages in the book of Romans. So people were asking about the feelings. And I said, it reminded me of being in high school. There was a mix of excitement and thrill and intimidation. Uh, In the summer times, we called it the jumping off place. And what that was was train tracks crossed over a reservoir near my house. And it was so inviting as we as 16-year-old boys were bored during the summer, wanted some adventure. So we climbed up the hill and we <laughs> ventured out onto the trestle, out high above the water below. And I remember stepping out to the edge all the way, you know, and then looking down and thinking, my word, wow, it looks much higher from up here. <laughs> and then I came across uh, a picture. I was from a devotional And I got a copy for you to look there at. See that guy up there? (laughs) There's a man up there. (laughs) You can barely see him. And I don't know about you, but no 
I could not do that. How many of you are, are just a little bit queasy just looking? <laughs> yeah, but hopefully there's a rope tied to his ankle and to this tree, right? But, you know, that's kind of the idea as we stand on the ledge and talk about going line by line, verse by verse through the most important document that's ever been written, secular or sacred, that has changed the course of human history. You do know that the Reformation was born out of a couple verses well grasped by men um, of influence back in the 1500s. They got a hold of some of the concepts in Romans and, 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 and protested. And the whole Protestant Reformation was born out of some of these theological truths that are here for us in the book of Romans. So we're on the edge and we're looking down, but you know what? No cause to be intimidated because it's God's word and he, he, he wrote it for us to be uh, enlightened and to be encouraged. And so the Holy Spirit is with us. He's our guide. So nothing to fear. Amen. Amen. So we are going to take the plunge down to the depths of the depravity of man, chapters one through three, up to the heights of God's grace. We go on to God's grace and the wonders of eternal salvation all through the book. It's just a wonder to behold. The, the message of the gospel, what's the gospel? That's his thesis statement. I'm gonna tell you about the good news. And then he tells us in the, one of the most beautiful sermons, uh, ever written. And, and now what makes Romans so thrilling and so almost mystifying in some parts is really, of course, if you ask a Christian, what's the book of Romans about? You're going to hear them say it's about faith, right? It's the definition of faith. It's, it's about getting right with God. It's about the gospel. It's about salvation. We know that. But oftentimes, Christians overlook another very important thing that the book of Romans is a book about God. It's a book about God. He mentions God's name, what is it, 153 times. Every 40 words in the book of Romans is the name of God. And so Paul is preoccupied with God and the dominating thought of Romans is God. So if you, were, if you put up with a, a quick outline of Romans, it's very easy. Uh, it's a book about God. Uh, chapters one through three, the wrath of God. It's the bad news before the good news. You've got to have a little bit of the negative before you, you're, you really love the positive. And so it's uh, the wrath of God, one through three. The grace of God, chapters four through eight. The plan of God, chapters 9 through 11, and the will of God, chapters 12 through 16. That, my friends, is the overarching outline of the book of Romans. Ready to jump? Yes. Let's do this. Here's his introduction. It's 17 verses. <laughs> it's supposed to be, dear church, how are you? I am fine. But it's the Apostle Paul. So we got a little uh, ways to go here. Verse one, Paul, and a, uh, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. 
the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of King David and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God. By his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse five. Through him and for his name's sake, we receive grace and apostleship to call people from among all the nations, that's what the word means, to the obedience that comes from faith. And you guys, you Romans, you are also among those who are called to belong to Jesus. Verse seven, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy ones. That's what that word means, saints. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are off and running, and it goes on. To all in Rome, he says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I've planned many times to come see you guys, but I've been prevented from doing so until now in order that I might have a harvest among you converted souls, just as I have had among the other non-Jewish churches. And then he finishes up. I'm obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, to wise people, to foolish people. That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel to you who are at Rome. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation of, for everyone who believes. First to the Jew, it came first to Israel, then to the whole world, verse 17. For in the good news, the gospel, a getting right with God... A righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it's written in Habakkuk chapter two, verse four. I did that for you. The righteous will live by faith. So there the screen can go blank until we get underway with our first point. But there, folks, come on. It's supposed to be, you know, dear church, how are you? I am fine, essentially, right? But it's the Apostle Paul who uh, is so aloft. He's got such a big card. He can't even introduce himself without going into the deity of Christ, which is part there mentioned in the introduction. So uh, we have uh, before us a long introduction of 17 verses, but it divides quite nicely in those three paragraphs you saw. Those will be our three conversations. And, and if you're taking notes, I just kind of came up with three words that kind of rhyme so that it'll help you uh, with the, recall the flow of Paul's 
17-verse introduction. The first word would be salutation. It's a fancy word for greeting, right? So there's the initial seven-verse greeting. And then he goes into affirmation. So it's time to talk about the Romans and their faith and their getting acquainted. And then lastly, from 14 to 17, he kind of closes out the introduction and he's getting ready for that thesis statement and he's going to now dive in to a very long sermon on the gospel, what it is and what it does and who it's from and how we should be unashamed. Not just Paul, but anybody who's benefited from the good news of God should never, could never be ashamed. And so that's what's staring at us. We can throw up the verses of the initial greeting or salutation, verses one through seven, and we'll go through now, verse by verse. Uh, The seven verses are an introduction, right? But they tell you some things about Paul and some things about the gospel. And so uh, let me remind you a couple things about Paul and the book of Romans. Paul now, from studying the book of Acts and the epistles, he's in his early 50s. He's been a Christian for about 25 years. He's never been to Rome, but he's always wanted to go, and there's a reason we're going to talk about that. Uh, He does know a lot of people there. As Christian communities go, you know, there are 26 of his friends that he greets at the close of the letter. But here's why he's writing, and kind of give you a good idea about what's behind this massive explanation of what Christianity is. Well, he's writing from Corinth. And it's his last visit in Corinth, and he's preparing to go to Jerusalem to bring an offering. But the Holy Spirit has warned him what's ahead is maybe a little jail time, some suffering, some trouble. So he's thinking, I want to go to Rome, but it's after I deliver the offering to Jerusalem. What if, what if I don't make it to Rome? So he's takes a pen and the Holy Spirit says to his heart, he's going to write his last will and testament, if you will. If I don't make it to Rome, the capital of the then known world, where everything, it's the heartbeat of the empire from which everything will be disseminated from there. If I could tell the Christians at Rome what it means to be saved, what it means to to have the gospel, what the gospel is, then I'm going to just explain it from start to finish. And that he did. And we're glad. And the Romans were glad. Because guess what? He got to Rome, but not the way he intended. He was shipped to Rome where he was in prison, right? And so we begin here. Now go in to dive in, and three quick things things in verse one that he tells uh, the Romans about himself. He's introducing himself first, right? Three quick things, and I think uh, it shows you great insight why God could use this guy in extraordinary ways. Pay attention, because they're applicable to our own hearts. For number one, he surrendered. He says, I am a doulos, I am a bond slave, The word in the Greek is stronger than servant. Uh, The word is for those who were slaves to masters, who loved their master, loved the benefit of being in that house, 
and, and didn't want to go anywhere else. So they voluntarily said, I don't want to be having have the free freedom option every seven years. I am permanently your slave. And so that's how he saw his relationship with God. Now, here's the key to an effective, productive, happy, joyful, not frustrated life is right from the start to know who's the boss, who's the master, and who's the servant, right? And so he got that right away. When God knocked him off that horse in Acts chapter 9 on the Damascus Road, he figured it out right then and there. There's a God. It's not me. He laid down his life for me. He bled and died for me. He, he created me. He bought me. He redeemed me. And now he's saving me, and he's telling me stuff that I need to do. Of course, I'm surrendered. And, and secondly, he says, um, I, he's called. He's called. And like all Christians, uh, the Lord says in John chapter 10, I know my sheep, they know me, they know my voice, and I call them by name. Many are called, but few are chosen. I take that to mean he calls everybody, but the ones who are chosen are the ones who respond. So we see this great man of God is not the initiator. He's not saying, I'm coming to Rome because I feel like it. He's coming to Rome because he's called. And everything he does has a power and enablement and a confidence and a lack of worry because it's not him leading the way, eking, it out, eking out some kind of existence. He's responding to God's will. I know a pastor said, I, I'm terrified to preach, and most pastors are. And, and it is a terrifying thought that everybody's staring at you and you're supposed to be representing God and say something that, from heaven that will help them live their lives. And so he said, what helps me is to say you are, and he had this verse, you are called. You're supposed to be behind here. God shaped your whole life. Before you were born, he set you apart here. Those kinds of ideas. You're supposed to be here. Shoulders back, deep breath, no fear. Because you're called, you're responding. And that's how you do things that you could never do without God's help. Peter's called to come out of the boat and onto the water. Listen to the voice. You know what he's saying. Abstain from your sin. Love your husband. Submit to your husband as unto the Lord. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. Raise your children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross. Follow. Let your light shine. These are all callings that we're saying, oh, I can never do that. Yes, you can. He's calling you. So where he calls, you know, he provides the enablement. And thirdly, uh, really, it's not really third, but I mean, he's called to be an apostle. Everybody has a gift. And his gift was to be a missionary. The word just means to be sent out with the power and the authority by Christ uh, to preach the gospel. And so, uh, and everybody has something to do. We're all called. We're all called. And then thirdly and lastly, he says he's set apart. The word means to be separated, and catch this, because most Christians focus on being separated from. The word means to be separated to something. The emphasis is not what you're not supposed to be doing anymore, not the vices, not who you used to be, 
You're not supposed to be all wrapped up in that. And make it like this is the big thing. My whole life is, is uh, I'm, I'm not supposed to be this. No, he's separated to life, new life, virtues, to a living, loving God. He separated out. So God separated him out for this. I love the verse that says a soldier refrains from entangling himself in civilian affairs in order to please the one who enlisted him. And that's like our lives. So he's saying, I'm set apart to do God's will. And that's the key. If you're all wrapped up in your own stuff, your own sinful struggle, uh, whatever it is that entangles you, he's saying, I'm not entangled. I've got one thing on my mind. And that's to run the race that God, who created me, set before me to run. I don't even count my, life, my own life dear to me. The only thing that matters is to hit the bullseye for which God aimed me in life to hit. Amen? And so that's him. Uh, one writer said, um, so Paul knows who, who he is, to whom he belongs, why he's here, and what he's supposed to be doing. No wonder this man is unstoppable. That's what we need as well. And let me just tell you, everything the apostle Paul knows, why he's here, what he's supposed to be doing, who he is, where he's headed, where he's been, it's all available to everybody who calls on the name of the Lord. That's our heritage. It's light and clarity. It's all right there. Don't need to be scratching your head and finding your way and having an identity crisis. You're a Christian. You belong to him to do his will. Amen. So he said a little bit about me. Now, let me tell you a little bit about the gospel. I got five things to say. I know it's only dear church. How are you? I am fine. But you need to know five things about this gospel. And first of all, he says, it's not my gospel so much. He calls it my gospel, but he says, it's the gospel. Look at your text. It's the gospel of God. Oh, come on. Here's what he's saying. Get this straight. It's not from some stoic philosopher in some dark Greek cave thousands of years ago. It's not somebody from the deep Middle East and in, in, in some den of iniquity coming up with some guru's idea, some holy man. It's not born of human logic or human will or human ingenuity. It's the good news. Gospel means good news. It's good news that has its origin in God. It belongs to him. It's his property. Everything about it comes from heaven and belongs to God. You know, see, all, re all religions, they are all the same. But Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. It's a revelation, right? But all religions are the same. And they have this in common. It's the ladder of human effort to obtain divine favor and entrance into heaven. So you better get busy. If you've got the ladder of Hinduism, you've got four paths of salvation, the noble eightfold path of enlightenment for Buddhism, and the five pillars of Islam. And it goes on and on ad nauseum about all the things that you have to do to please God. Show me one religion that says you do nothing. All you do is receive. This is a religion that says it's my son. I've done the work. It's my son, my goodness, my kindness that leads you to repentance. It's my spirit that softens and convicts your heart. It's my spirit that raises you up 
from being dead in your sins. It's all about my sacrifice, not your goodness. It's about my blood. It's about my death. It's about my resurrection on your behalf. It's about my power and my righteousness, my wisdom and my mercy, not your willpower. Amen. He says, your part is just saying yes. That's your part, trusting. That's your part. Where, I just told that guy this. He says, all, all, I'm sharing the faith. He says, all religions are the same. I said, just show me one religion that says God does everything and you do zip. Nothing, nada, nothing. You do zero. The only thing you bring is sinfulness and brokenness and wretchedness and lying and stealing and sexual immorality. And that is what qualifies you. Because then you say, I'm done with this. I trust in a God who did what I could never hope or dream in my wildest dreams. It's his gospel. It's his gospel. He says, number two, he says, it's a gospel promise beforehand through the prophets and through the scriptures. Here's what he's saying. It just didn't fall out of the sky. This is just a, a newfangled religion of the Roman Empire. This has been building since Genesis chapter 3 and the dawn of creation. And in fact, he will say, it was brewing before there was an earth here. This has always been the plan. This is just, it's just not some new, hey, did you hear about the, this new thing? It's called Christianity. He says, it's actually not a new thing. It's verifiable. It started in Genesis 3. There was a virgin birth foretold in Genesis 3 that the Son of God would crush the devil's head born of a virgin in Genesis 3. Isaiah 53, he's suffering. Psalm 22, he's crucified. Isaiah 9, the, the Christ is the almighty God. <clears throat> All of this verifiable. And then he says, and by the way, the gospel's about his son, Jesus. Oh, we could be so enlightened if we just paid more attention. It's regarding his son. It's not regarding human sexuality. It's not regarding moralizing your life. It's not about how much you cuss or what you don't cuss. The gospel message is not clean up your life or you need to start doing this and you can't do this anymore. That's not the gospel. The gospel is about a person. Oh, and I had somebody else. I'm sharing the gospel. And he says, you know, I'm just not into it. And I said, you know what? I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not into it either. All right? Who wants to be into it? You know, when did I ever mention it? I've been talking about a person, a loving father who sent his loving son who has hands to hold you and to love you and to, to reconcile your soul to the one who made you. This is what the gospel is. It's about a person. It's about a reconciliation. It's about love. Now, yes, once he's on board and the Holy Spirit comes in, then, you know what? Beforehand, it didn't matter how you were born the first time. That argument might even be true. But the prerequisite to eternal life from Jesus Christ our Lord, in John chapter 3 and verse 3, it says, you must be born again. The gospel's about a relationship with Christ who makes you alive. And then 
the behaviors change. And all behavior after the second birth will conform to the Bible's standards. But to get the cart before the horse, we all do it. And we point to the bad behavior. He says, the gospel's not about being a good person. It's about the son of God, the only good person that ever lived. Amen? Amen. Number four. Well, he goes, well, he's talking about who Jesus is. He says, and by the way, he's the God man. He had a human mommy. So it makes him human, fully human, 100%. He's related to King Dave. The genealogies prove it. King David. Did I call him? <laughs> well, we're on those kinds of terms. <laughs> King David. He's related to King David. But by the spirit of holiness, catch this. The spirit of holiness just is another term for the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit, when he got up from the dead, as he said he would, he was declared to be who he said he was the whole time, equal to God in every way, God the Son. And that's the declaration of the resurrection says 100% human, 100% God. Now, who raised him? The Holy Spirit here or what? I mean, it's kind of conflicting in the scriptures because there seems to be multiple hands extended to Jesus. Number one, Romans 6 says the father raised the son. God the father raised God the son from the dead. And right here, uh, uh, in John chapter 2, it says Jesus takes responsibility for his own resurrection. He says to the Jews, destroy me, destroy this body, kill me. I'll raise it up in three days. And then in John 10... He says, I am going to lay down my life. And then after three days, I will take it up again because I have the authority to do so. So he takes responsibility. And then in your verse right here, it's the Holy Spirit who's raising from the dead. Here's the answer. God the Father initiating. God the Son implementing. God the Holy Spirit facilitating. Three persons one God, the fullness of God raises the fullness of God on behalf of sinful people so that we might be assured of our own resurrection. Amen? Amen. Now, the scope of the gospel moving on, he says the good news, this good news from God about his son is for the Gentiles, the word I already told you, the non-Jewish people or meaning, i.e., the entire world. And then I like where he says, and it even reached you guys. You know, I mean, people in Rome were known for their atheism and, and they, they worshiped all kinds of gods and goddesses. So he's saying, hey man, God's plan even extended out from the Jews all the way to the world and that even include, included you guys. Here's what he's saying. The goodness for everyone, all nations, the people you like, the people you don't like. Uh, the good, the bad, the ugly, you know, the beautiful, the rich, the poor, uh, the, the religious, the atheists, the people uh, we are easy to deal with and the people that are hard to deal with. Here's the angel's birth announcement of the Lord in Luke chapter 2. He says, hey, I bring you from heaven, I bring you word, good news, that is going to be of great joy to 
all the people. For whosoever God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And I do want to say that in Revelation, those words come to pass right here. They're fulfilled, that he is uh, the scope of the gospels for the whole world, all the nations. Romans, uh, Revelation, I should say, chapter 7, verse 9 says, I looked around the throne and I saw a multitude of people that no man could count. And represented there was every language, every tongue, every people group, every tribe, every nation is gathered there. Why? Because it's like God's gospel for all the nations about his son who died for not only our sins, but for the sins of the entire world. This is pretty good news. And then the last thing he says, he says there's purpose in this gospel. Uh, He says we're missionaries. We received the grace of God first and then called to uh, offer people the obedience that comes through faith. Here's what he's saying. Now, if there's a big difference between believing there is a God out there. A lot of people say, I believe in God. What they mean is, I believe there is a God, but they don't know him. They haven't been born again. He's saying, if you really have faith in this God, it will lead you. He's just defining what gospel means. If you truly know the gospel and you're truly saved by the gospel, you will truly obey. Your, your behavior will begin to comply with the moral commands of scriptures because Jesus Christ said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. And then 1 John says that it, we keep and his, for this is the love of God that we keep his commands. And so that's what he's saying, just right off the top, defining, look, if you say you have faith and you've embraced the gospel, there will be obedience not to get to heaven, but because you've just been given heaven for free and now the spirit and the new life comes up in you and now there's a new way of seeing the world and a new way of speaking, a new way of feeling, a new way of handling everything. Amen? Amen. So to sum it up, now we move on, but Paul describes himself as surrendered, called, set apart by God to bring some really good news. And then the good news is described. It's God's good news. It's been in the making for a long, long time. And it's about his son, Jesus Christ, the God-man, who conquered death so that we might have life. And the good news is that we're going to live forever. And it's for all nations. Anyone breathing qualifies. And when you start believing, you'll start behaving in line with what what God commends uh, as right and good. Amen? So we've, he's, saying, he's saying now, we've talked about me, we've talked about the gospel, let's talk about you guys. So here we go. So the affirmation, right? So here's, he's lingering still because people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So he's about to unload and unleash this ginormous lecture sermon, this essay on what the gospel is. So he wants to connect a little bit with them, right? He wants to just slow down and say, let's talk about us. Let's get acquainted. A little warm fuzzies. He's some social niceties here. It's important, and it's very pastoral, and he's doing it, right? 
here before you. He's got three things to say to them now in your text. He's thankful, he's praying, and he's concerned. Number one, he's never met them, but he's thankful for them. Why? Because what's important to God and Jesus Christ is important to that man because he serves only him. He's set apart for him and he knows what's important to God. And God bled and died for those Christians in Rome. It's an important church. So it's important to God. Of course, it's important to me. And so I'm gonna pray for them. I'm gonna love them and I'm thankful for them. So he says, I'm thankful for you. Uh, he, he had never been to Rome. He didn't plant the church there. How did that get planted? 20 years earlier was a holiday called Pentecost. Uh, a lot of Jews came from all over the world to be in Jerusalem when the Holy Spirit was poured out and 5,000 right then and there, boom, got saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter two, verse five says that Jews were there from, quote, every nation under heaven. So some were there from Italy, some were there from Rome. And so they went back, spirit-filled Jewish Christians went back, and now they've had 20 years to establish a church in Rome. And Paul is so thankful. He's thinking, in the heart of the belly of the beast, there are Christians duking it out for Jesus, right? So he's thankful. There's a light in Rome. That's really the whole world, he says, is hearing your faith, about your faith. There's a God in heaven. He loves us. He sent his son to provide a way of escape. So I thank God that you're there. So he's thankful for them. And then he moves on and he says, I'm praying for you. And this is pretty cool. He calls God as his witness to say, hey, night and day on every occasion. In the Greek, it means there's not a lot of time that passes between my prayers for you. They're often and on every occasion. I'm always thinking, God, bless those Christians at Rome and fill them with your spirit and protect them from the enemy and all of that. Now, why do you call God as your witness? Well, you call God as your witness if something is hard to believe. And it is something hard to believe that Paul would be saying, I pray for you 24-7. I'm praying for you. It would be hard for them to believe because they don't pray like that for even their own families and their own friends. So when Paul says, uh, even though we've never met, man, there's not a day that goes by, practically not a moment when I'm saying, bless the Romans, Lord, bless the Roman, the Roman Christians. So he has to say in front of God so that they'll go, wow, this guy is, a, what kind of a faith is that? Well, uh, Paul's thinking uh, Nero has just ascended the throne. He knows the Colosseums, Colosseums are getting ready for what's called damnatio ad bestias, which means the condemned to be thrown into the Colosseum with, with wild animals. Paul knows this. Bless them, God. Help them not compromise their faith. Let them stand strong there in Rome. He's praying for them. And thirdly, he says, I just, uh, I'm, I'm concerned for you. I'm longing for you because I've got something that would be a blessing for you. I want to come and strengthen you and edify you. 
And watch, he corrects himself. Did you catch it? He says, I want to come and impart to you a spiritual blessing, something that God has given me. I, I want to see you in strengthened and encouraged. And then he says, correction. I'm coming to you so that we can mutually benefit one another, that I stand something to gain, that I'm in need of something that you all have. You encourage me. And that's what people often forget even pastors, right? That we correct ourselves. Well, the other day I'm talking to uh, James. I, he's probably here. He hasn't missed a service since he got saved and baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. He's bouncing around these walls. He's telling me things like, man, Pastor Ross, it's like God knows, knows exactly who I am. And, and, and when I'm hearing the scriptures, it's like he's like talking to me. And, and, and I'm like, James, chill out, dude. I believe you. <laughs> I believe you because, and I said, James, you're encouraging me. And he goes, shut up. <laughs> he goes, how about, I'm not, I don't even know what, what I'm saying. I said, dude, you're, you're like, you just stuck your finger in the, and you're like, Jesus, right? And I said, I remember that. And the same God that saved me 39 years ago, you're reminding me, he's true. The gospel is real. He's still doing his thing, seeking and saving the lost and transforming them from glory to glory into the image of his own son. Yes, of course, Paul's saying, whoops, what I meant by that, yes, I want to, I'm consumed with, hey, what do I have that you guys need to strengthen you? But I, I, what I know is true is in our being together, I'm going to walk away strengthened as well because you guys have something to give to me. You do. You really do. So he says, I'm thankful for you. I'm praying for you. I'm concerned for you. So now about God's will, I plan to come see you and you want to know why. He says, I'm going to come see you. Next verses, please. Because I'm obligated. I signed up to be a slave. And my master cares about everybody everywhere. And my master says, I want all people to come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. And my master says, I, it is not my will that any perish, but all come to repentance and have life. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. And sometimes it helps if I write it out like that. So he says, I'm obligated. Yes, I want to see you. But more than that, to do something that might be costly, uncomfortable, inconvenient, I am a debtor. I owe him my life. He laid down everything for me. So I'm obligated. I'm obligated. Yeah, yes. Uh, there's been an edict from Claudius. Claudius kicked all the Jews out. Right? So for 10 years, up until the time he's writing, Jews weren't allowed in Rome because of the Jewish problem and frustration of Christ coming into the synagogues, as it were, 
and uh, Jews were converting in Rome to Christianity, and it caused such chaos in Rome between the Jews, just the Jews that didn't want to accept Christ and the new born-again Jews, where it caused such a problem that Claudius kicked them out for 10 years, but he just lifted the ban. So Paul is saying, I'm obligated. I'm coming. Danger, edict or not. I'm a Jew. It's kind of dangerous to go to Rome right now. But yes, James just got beheaded by Herod and all the other 10 guys are on the run and, and under stress of persecution. The church in Jerusalem had just experienced a fierce, terrible uh, persecution. So all of these reasons, he says, yes, I've been beaten and flogged and stoned and left for dead on several occasions, but I'm determined to come and bless you guys because I am a debtor. I'm a debtor. I don't count my life dear to myself. You know, he saw the nail-scarred hands, people. And did he hug him with those hands? And then and there he realized, man, I owe my life. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. Listen, who loved me and gave himself for me. He says, I'm obligated. I'm a debtor. Everything I do. So for any of us who receive the gospel is to incur a debt. And Paul's letting us know that. Right? I mean, what did he say? Acts chapter 9, when he gets knocked off his horse, first words out of his mouth. What would you have me do for you? Of course, once a heart receives the love of God, the forgiveness of sins, the hope of everlasting life, knowing where, who, who we are, what we've done, and what we deserve, it's like somebody just saved your life or donated you a kidney or, or bailed you out of prison or paid for your bankruptcy. Wouldn't you be like, I'm a debtor. Dude, whatever, could, how can I bless you? I mean, that's what he's saying. I'm coming there as a debtor obligated by love. I'm constrained by God's love. And then he says to the Greek, I'm coming there despite the situation, but now to the recipients. I will minister this gospel to the Greek and the non-Greek, to the wise and the foolish. Let's take that apart. It's right there in your verse. The Greek and non-Greek, it should read to the Greek or civilized or to the barbarian or uncivilized. The word in the Greek, barbarios, is where we get barbarian. And it just came to mean uncivilized or harsh or rude. The reason, just interesting, for where we get the word barbarian, it's an onomatopoeia word, which means it's a word that is formed by the sound, like buzz, you know, these kinds of, or hiss, right? Well, onomatopoeia word here for barbarian is when people from these cultures came in and spoke to the Greeks it just sounded to them like ba 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 ba. So they said the ba ba people, right? The ba 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 the ba 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 rain ba ba rain. It just came to me, not from above. 
So the ba 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 people, they just named them the ba, and it became the ba. Now, I, I happen to know a, a barbarian who was always and is still hung up with the word ba, and that's all that comes out of his mouth, ba, ba, ba. He's a true, true barbarian. In fact, my grandchild, Xander, we named, we nicknamed him Ba because, and it's so cute. It's like, how Ba doing right now, right? Is that not the cutest barbarian you've ever seen? Come on. <laughs> Thank you. And he's got something in his hands to do some barbarian scheme. But uh, he's, all right. I'm done gazing at this cute barbarian. All right. Thank you for that. Now, listen, he says, listen, it's not my job to say who is going to receive the love of God. Whether you're uncivilized, you're difficult, you're rude and, and, and uh, unattractive or a bunch of problems or whether you're a terrorist or a morally inclined person. He says, I'm obligated to bring the gospel uh, without condition to who's standing in front of me, what they did, because the condition for God is whosoever. Therefore, we can't go around like Jonah. Jonah had the Jonah syndrome. What happened with Jonah? Jonah was told, I want you to go to the barbarians. Oh, they were wicked, those Assyrians, those Ninevites, terrible, terrible people, the worst on the planet. You take our terrorists and multiply them by 100. And God says, I want you to bring my gospel about my son to them. And Jonah said, no, 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 no. They don't qualify. I do not like them. I know what you will do. You will be nice to them if they believe me. So I'm getting on a boat and going that way. Well, God fixed that, didn't he? He said, can I change your mind? And swallowed him up and spit him back out in the direction he should have been headed. And even then, he goes and he gives his gospel about his son in the future to them. And what do they do? They believe and they repent. And even in chapter four, he's not convinced. And he says, I'm angry. And God says, what you angry about? And he goes, I'm angry enough to die because I knew this was going to happen. I, you were going to tell me to preach the gospel, I preach the gospel, and those thugs, those barbarians, those terrorists, they believed it, and they started repenting and crying to you, and now you've relented, and now you're going to bless them. See? That's what I said at the beginning. That's why I sailed to Spain, right? Wow. Listen, folks. It's a gospel to all nations, to the wise and the foolish. Do you see that? To people who are messed up and broken and doing everything that drives you crazy. They're a whosoever. They qualify. Are they breathing? Yes. And so he says, I'm obligated. I'm a debtor. And I'm not going to discriminate. Oh, I think I'll share the gospel with you. I don't know why I became British there. At all. <laughs> he says, no. And then he says, not only, he says, I'm obligated to mankind because he loves the world and I'm unashamed of Christ 
because he's unashamed of me. So he says, listen, I'll tell you why I'm not ashamed. Now, everybody knows, even there, that the world was scoffing, and it was hard to be a Christian in Rome, and you got mocked and insulted, and you get some of your job opportunities narrowed and all of that. He says, I'm not intimidated. I'm not embarrassed. I'm not ashamed. I'm proud. Verses 16 and 17. Now, the power, number one, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's God's power to save somebody, to take somebody who's destined to hell forever and, and change them around and give them an eternal hope and make them alive inside and make them a, a co-heir with Christ from having been condemned. He said, I'm not ashamed of that. Why would you be embarrassed of that? It's the power of God. And notice a couple things here. He's saying, it is the power of God. It doesn't bring the power of God. And he doesn't say, uh, you know, the gospel isn't about, hey, let's get your life going. Let's, uh, let, let's make some changes. No, it, it, it doesn't say, hey, lift yourself up. The gospel is the power that lifts a person up. There's a difference. It, it, the gospel, it grips the mind, it stabs the conscience, it warms the heart, it saves the soul, it transforms the life. It makes drunken men sober and crooked men straight and immoral people pure. Why should I be ashamed of that? He says it reveals a righteousness that's from God. Get this or you'll miss everything. It's a thesis statement. The gospel is good news because it shows us, it reveals something you could never know. It reveals something to you only through the gospel that says this is how you get right with God, to have a right standing. That is what righteousness means there. It has nothing to do with behavior, but everything to do with a mindset of belief. The righteousness of God means to be in right standing with him. The just means justified or pardoned. And so he's saying from first to last, it's righteousness by faith. Here's what he's saying. From Genesis to Revelation, nobody ever got to heaven. Nobody by being good. It's always been from first, from Adam and Eve had to trust Jesus. Adam and Eve had to trust that those garments that typified the cross of Christ where bloodshed had to flow in the Garden of Eden to cover their nakedness. They tried with fig leaves, didn't do a good job. And he said, no, 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 someone's gonna die. There's gonna be blood. And so there was some faith in the garden with Seth and Abel. Abel brought a blood offering by faith. So from first all the way to the tribulation, not one soul will you, when you see all those millions and billions of people in heaven, not one of them got there by being a good person. But they heard the good news from heaven that said getting right with God is through faith. Faith alone. God's grace, you saying yes. Listen, this is what the people came in John chapter six. They came to Jesus and they said, What must we do to please God, to do the work God requires? And he says, this is the work that God requires, that you believe 
the one God sent. That's the good news about his son, and that's what you do. You receive, you believe, you have faith, everything for nothing. From heaven to hell. Why? Simply because you said, okay, yes, that's it. And everyone you see there, that one person qualified other than they accepted the gospel. And that's what put them right. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word and the, the wonderful good news that it didn't depend on us. It is not up to us today, nor will it ever be up to us to obtain eternal salvation. That is a gift. And we simply, you simply say, just believe me, trust me. And then we open our hearts, you come in and uh, you just take over and do some great things. Thank you, God, for the gospel and this blessed and beautiful introduction to a wonderful, blessed and beautiful book, the book of Romans. We look forward to what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.